Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. An aging demonologist once told me that women will always be far more dangerous to the heart of a man than devils could ever be. A sociologist might speculate that there was a good reason for the thousands of years of patriarchy, the fear inspired by the love of a woman. When Rome earned Queen Boudicca's scorn, thousands of men died. When Cleopatra seduced Mark Antony, the Republic was reduced to civil war. Emperor Sigismund was tempted to give up one of the greatest nations in Europe, all for his beloved Barbara. It's not a hard stretch of the imagination to see why then, when persecutions of witches and witchcraft broke out, it was often the helpless or the downtrodden that were the target, the women of the community, and rarely ever those in power. The dark arts used by sorcerers through the ages was often an amalgamation of ancient wisdom mixed with the dominant religion of the time. Abramelin said in his own book that his magic could be practiced by anyone as long as they believed in God, be he Christian, Muslim, or Jew. A city on the bayou stands today as it did 150 years ago as a microcosm of race, religion, and politics of America. New Orleans stood at the beginning of the 19th century as a place where strange things were told in every corner. African and European, slave and free, Catholicism and witchcraft, blended into the most eclectic community the world had ever seen. And in this community, a mixing of religions also took place. Spiritual folkways of the African diaspora blended and was practiced alongside traditional Christianity. Voodoo wasn't born in New Orleans, but it certainly was defined and took root there. Among its practitioners, queens were often looked up to as leaders of a sort. People would come to them for advice or help, whether it be for a jealous lover or success in their business. They'd come to purchase Grigri or to attend a ritual. And among all the queens, one name stands above the rest. Marie Laveau. You're listening to Devilry, and I'm Matthew William Motzinger. She was a tall woman with soft mulatto skin who walked with confidence and grace to church each Sunday morning in her best dresses and strolled on down to the Congo Square in soft linen each evening with a large snake named Zombie wrapped around her, with which she would dance provocatively, inviting the god to possess her. Upon her head was worn an ornate head wrap. 
she was required by law to wear what was once meant as a mark of subservience. Marie Laveau and those Creole women like her transformed into a symbol of defiant supremacy over the whites and men alike. Though they could not practice primogeniture, Marie was smart enough to work around the legal stature of her situation to ensure that her daughters inherited her estate and of more interest through some kind of voodoo. It was assumed that at least one of her daughters inherited her spirit as well. It was said that Marie Laveau never aged, though we know from documents that Marie's daughter, Marie II, inherited her mother's likeness, business acumen, and mythos that left the city gossiping to this day as to when Marie I actually retired and Marie II took over. She was born around the beginning of the 19th century and was trained in the voodoo by the legendary voodoo king, Brother John. After the mysterious disappearance of her husband, she began to call herself the Widow Paris, and out of financial necessity started a hair salon which served the wealthy upper-class ladies of her day. And as a byproduct, she trafficked in the most lucrative business of all, information. In her time, she was said to have built a network of informants that would make the Stasi jealous, striking fear in the slave and servants of the wealthy and convincing them to tell her all the gossip and rumor coming out of their house. Through these connections, she soon dined with judges and politicians who saw fit to do her favors from time to time. Whether through her grigri or by some connection high up, she soon scared off other would-be voodoo queens. Though she could not frighten with her magic, she physically assaulted until all acknowledged her as the Queen of Queens, a title she still holds to this day. Legends of Marie Laveau have only grown since her time as the Queen of New Orleans, some more outrageous than others. In the delicately stratified society of the time, Voodoo had an on-again, off-again relationship with the law. Raids would scour the city, shutting down ritual seances and fining those involved. Marie evaded the law dogs for most of her career, and when they did finally knock on her door, it was said that with a wave of her hand, the officers tore off their clothes and started yelping like dogs. Another time, it was said that she only spoke a word when they broke down the door, and instead of arresting the women present, the officers began beating each other with their billy clubs. These stories, however fantastic, can never be substantiated, and it is a mystery for all but the initiated what actually goes on at voodoo rituals. Some say human sacrifice. Others whisper lewd tales of orgies, seductive dancing, and women going mad when possessed by a god. What can be substantiated is the Elder Marie's known kindness for the hungry, the sick, the poor, and the downtrodden. Yellow fever ran rampant in the Big Easy for years. Marie herself lost several children to the disease which is probably why she could always be found personally nursing and feeding the sick when an outbreak happened. After her supposedly lewd dancing, she would leave offerings of food and money in the Congo Square for beggars and widows. Perhaps her most well-documented ministry 
was to those on death row in the rank and disgusting cells of parish prison. Few of us, if any, could imagine our last moments being played out before our eyes. The need for repentance, the desire for companionship, and the longing for forgiveness must be overwhelming. These are all things the widow of Paris offered to basic murderers who stood to gain the gallows at the rising sun. After the death of her confessor, she knelt to hear their confessions, would pray with them all night long, and would often cook their last meal as a concession for a dead man. For all the black and white, the painting of the devil-worshipping queen against the tenets of a faithful commoner. The Queen of New Orleans makes not only fiction and fact, but faith and superstition, goodwill with divination. Myth and fact often coalesce in her life. She could sometimes save these men, as was the case with John Bazaar, who was sentenced to hang until dead. Marie prayed with him in his prison cell on the morning he was to die. She was in the crowd as the executioner placed the black hood over his face and secured the noose around his neck. The warden had risen his arm to signal the trap door be sprung open, when, just at that moment, a messenger arrived in the courtyard, bearing the pardon of the governor. Another moment, and John's lifeless body would have been hanging from the gallows, were it not for the political machinations of the voodoo queen. Her Grigri was not all-powerful, though. In another case, when two white men were condemned to die after they had brutally murdered a young slave girl, they were led out to the gallows, where the hangman secured the rope around his prisoners. Marie had tried to gain a stay of execution, but to no avail. Neither her magic nor her connections seemed to do the trick this time. But as she stood helpless in the crowd, and the prisoners braced for death, the bright, clear sky turned a sudden shade of iron. Just as the church bells rang, a flash of lightning struck out, blinding the onlookers, then another, and another, which drowned out the sound of the trap doors springing open. But as the crowd's eyes adjusted, all they could see were two empty nooses swinging in the heavy rain that had begun to fall. Marie Laveau had disappeared. The prisoners were not spared their punishment. They had fallen 15 feet from the gallows due to a faulty construction. The problem was soon remedied, and the prisoners' bodies were hanging from the rafters not long after. Witnesses openly said that the wrath of God had been borne out that morning, for as soon as the hanging was done, the skies cleared leaving a wet and confused crowd to disperse to tell yet another legend of the Widow Paris. Marie I lived to the ripe old age of 79, and passed away lamenting that the voodoo in her city was not what it once was, that the power it once held had diminished. She was given a Catholic burial and laid in her family tomb in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1, which is still visited by thousands of patrons every year leave offerings in the hope that her spirit might help them with some small favor. Her daughter, Marie II, has a more ambiguous fate. During the time of Jim Crow after the Civil War, 
the authorities cracked down on voodoo practice within the city. Many of the practitioners moved to the shores of Lake Pontchartrain to worship in a more secluded area. Marie II held her rituals on these shores, living out of a small shack at the lake's edge. It was there that one night, while holding such a ritual, she began to sing, I want to die in the lake. As she sung, a sudden storm kicked up. A great wave crashed against the shore, which swept Marie II and her tiny shack away into the turbulent water. Her followers moved to save her, but she waved them away, continually singing, I want to die in the lake. There is no record available about Marie II on how she died, or even when. After the summer of 1874, she is never mentioned again by friend or family. Marie II was not like her mother, though. She was not a devout Catholic, and some wondered if she even kept her mother's faith. She also had a way of monetizing voodoo. It always had a monetary factor, of course, but to Marie II it seems to have been the focus, to the detriment of her spiritual work. Unlike her mother, she was never seen helping the sick or the poor, or the downtrodden and helpless. One has to wonder then, if her mother was not the wiser queen. In voodoo, there is a popular belief, you see, much like the Indian concept of karma. What goes around comes around. Perhaps all the good work her mother did acted as a way to insulate her soul from the wickedness around her. For voodoo, as many know, goes far deeper than love spells or ugly dolls you stick pins into. There are dangerous and deadly curses, and if you say enough of them, eventually that evil that you unleash will come back to haunt you. And maybe it found Marie II in that storm. One last story about Marie II. After the great storm that swept her away, a young girl decided to go fishing on the lake. After reaching her favorite hole, she spotted a woman floating serenely among the willow trees, a blue veil over her face, and in her arms she clutched a box. The mystified child brushed aside the veil and tried to lift the box from her arms. No sooner had she done this than the woman's eyes shot open and stared through the frightened girl. I love you, my child, and I don't love many people. I am Marie Laveau. The child began to tremble. But they say you are dead, she replied. I know, Marie said with a laugh. Marie Laveau's been dead before, but I am a strong woman. Come see me sometime. For this week's episode, we will be hosting a giveaway of a custom-made voodoo doll, made by a real-life voodoo queen. The doll has had a love spell cast on it. In celebration of both Valentine's Day and Mardi Gras, if you'd like to enter the contest to win, Please share the episode on Facebook or Twitter. 
The winner will be announced on the 27th. Devilry is written and produced by me, Matthew William Motzinger. Music by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoy listening to Devilry and would like to help support us, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. To keep up to date on all things Devilry, you can follow us on Twitter at DevilryPod or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash devilrypod. A full transcript of this episode, as well as a complete bibliography, is available at devilrypodcast.com. Go there if you'd like to learn more about the strange and terrible things of the world. And as always, stay weird, my devils. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.